or at you that are wrong. We pray that you will highlight these to us. We pray that you will, if necessary, convict us of our sin and that you will also point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help me to teach your word faithfully and helpfully and please help us all to receive it, we pray, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, one thing which I'm sure we've all been aware of in, the la- in recent times has been the issue of racism. Uh, we've all been shocked to have heard of the death of George Floyd, allegedly at the hands of a policeman in the United States. And other incidents of alleged mistreatment on the grounds of race, both in this country and in the United States, have also come to fore in recent weeks. And this has been deeply troubling for many of us. So I think it will be helpful if we were to consider what the Bible has to say on the subject of racism. I do not want to get into a political debate about specific issues like whether it is right to go on particular marches or whether it's right to call for particular statues uh, to be pulled down. Uh, There are bound to be differences of opinion between believers on these matters. But my aim this morning is to draw attention to certain truths of Scripture which I am confident that all true believers will agree on. Uh, That is, all true believers who accept the authority of Scripture. And, uh, And to see how, if we believe and live by these three fundamental truths, then, and if we're consistent with them, then really racism has to be impossible for us. And the three truths are these. The first one is all people of whatever ethnic origin are made in God's image. The second is this. All people of whatever ethnic origin are sinners. And the third is All people of whatever ethnic origin are called to receive God's salvation in Christ. So let me uh, just outline these truths in a bit more detail and give you some biblical basis for them and, and apply them to our lives. First of all then, all people of whatever ethnic origin are made in God's image. Fundamental to the Christian view of man is that men and women are all descended from one pair, Adam and Eve. And that pair, Adam and Eve, were made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, uh, we read these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, 
over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Now these verses tell us two very important things. First of all, they tell us that all human beings are descended from the same man and the same woman. So that makes all human beings relations. We're all cousins of each other. Distant cousins may be, but we are all related to each other. We all share the same blood originally, the same genetic come from the same genetic stock originally. That's all broken down into different lines as, as time has gone on. But we all come from the same parents. This idea that you have one race that is sort of, you know, a superior race and another race that's an inferior race or a lower level of, quotes, evolution or anything, is complete nonsense. We all come from the same parents. And then the second thing that we see from these verses is that human beings are made in the image of God. Now, when it says we're made in the image of God, it doesn't mean that we share God's physical likeness because God is spirit. God doesn't have a physical form. But it means we're like God insofar as we can think, we can reason, we can speak, And also, when Adam and Eve were first made, they were like God in the sense that they were perfect. They were without sin. Now, that image of God has become marred and has become damaged, but it's the image of God that still remains in every human being to some extent. And so... The way you treat another human being effectively is the way you treat God. If you are horrible to another human being, you're being horrible to the image of God that is in that human being, and therefore you're being horrible to God. So an offense against a human is an offense against God. Now that's very clear in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 9 and verse 5, after the flood, God said to Noah that that there was going to be an accounting for for the blood of of all humans. He says in in Genesis 9 verse, verse 5, he says... I will demand, he says, for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting, and I will demand an accounting from every animal. From each man too, I'll demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. For whoever sheds the blood of man, by his blood, by, by man, excuse me, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God has God created Man. So murder is wrong because your fellow human being 
is made in the image of God. If you attack another human being, you're attacking God. That's why you shall not kill is one of the Ten Commandments. Because this is so fundamental to what is right and wrong. If you, if you, hurt, if you attack a human being, you're attacking God. Now, Jesus tells us that the sin of murder is not confined to simply to, to just taking the life of another human being. It, of course, it includes that, but it's not confined to that. Uh, Jesus said, as recorded in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, uh, he said, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says to his brother, Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Why would, you say, why would God send somebody to hell just because somebody says, oh, you idiot to that person? Well, the answer is because you're insulting somebody who's been made in the image of God. So if you insult a human being, you're insulting God. And so we must love all other human beings, whatever their skin color, whatever part of the world they they or their ancestors have, have originally come from, because all are made in the image of God. Lack of love for another human being is lack of love for God. Now this means that all preferential treatment to others on the basis of skin color or anything else about them is also completely wrong. Now James speaks in chapter 2 of his letter uh, about how wrong it is for people to show preferential treatment to others on the basis of how much money they've got. But what he says there is equally applicable to showing preferential treatment to others on the basis of their skin color or any other characteristic that they may have. Uh, He says in James 2, um, from verses 1 to 4, he says, My brothers, as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the, feet by my, sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So we should not discriminate one from the other. We should show all people respect that is due to him or her because uh, each person is infinitely valuable, made in the image of God. So we see then that this first thing, man made in the image of God, 
is something which shows to us that racism must be completely out of court for every true Christian. Every Christian who believes his Bible must say, no, I cannot even begin to go down that way of treating somebody from another ethnic group in, a, in any way different from, from, from anybody else because that is a complete denial of what the Bible says, that all are made in the image of God. Now, just before we move on to my next point, I'd need to point out that this truth that we're all made in the image of God has implications far beyond the sin of racism. It includes the sin of racism, but has implications that go far beyond that. It teaches us that all attacks against people, however they're made, and on whatever basis, are all offensive to God. Now, this is where I'm, I regret that I do have to point out some inconsistency of some who have been so incensed by the death of George Floyd. They are rightly angry about George, George Floyd's death. But where, we have to ask the question, where is the outrage about the young people who are pretty much every week being murdered on our streets by other young people? Sometimes other young, often by other young people of the same skin color as the ones who are killed. Where is the outrage about that? Where is the outrage and anger about the 200,000 babies who are killed inside their mother's wombs every year in the United Kingdom? Where is the outrage and anger about women who refuse to mouth the mantra, trans women are women, being called TERFs, losing their jobs, and receiving death threats. That should not be happening. It's completely wrong that people should be treated in a dehumanized way because of views that they express which, which others disagree with. And there are many other examples we could, we could cite in this present time of, of people being treated in a grossly inhuman and unkind way simply because of views that they express. Now this also has a, a personal application to us all. Because we can be very hot on opposing racism at the political level or opposing those things that I've just mentioned at the political and social level, but then we can fail to realize that we're not treating our own nearest and dearest as we should. Uh, there is a saying, isn't there? Charity begins at home, which is a true saying. It's saying that, you know, it's all very well giving money to the poor hundreds of miles away, which you should do, but what about caring for your own family? But that also can be applied to, we could say, social concern begins at home. It's all very well to be very concerned about, about racism, which we should be, but what about the way you treat your own mum and your own dad? Do you show love and respect to your own mum and your own dad? Do you show love to your own brother and your own sister? Do you show kindness to your own work colleagues? 
to your own neighbour, perhaps your neighbour who annoys you sometimes, but are you polite and respectful to people you have come into contact with? It's all very well being all hot and colour about this or that evil that you see out there, but what about you and what about me in the way that we relate with other people? The truth that God has made all in the image of God should lead us to, uh, to treat others with love and respect close, when, when those others are close at hand as well. So there's the first scriptural truth. All people, whatever their ethnic origin, are made in the image of God and therefore should be treated with love and respect. Now the second truth is this. All people, whatever their ethnic origin, are sinners. Now again we see this this goes this we see this in the book of Genesis. This goes right the way back to the beginning of time. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about how our father Adam sinned and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had told him that he should not eat of. And when he did that, he committed not only himself, but the whole human race, all of his descendants, to a position of rebellion against God. Romans chapter 5 teaches us that in a way which is hard for us to fully understand, the whole human race was implicated in Adam's sin. We sinned in him. Or put it another way, he sinned on our behalf. The sinning that that, 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 that declaration of rebellion against God, he made on behalf of the whole of mankind. And ever since then, the whole of mankind has been in a state of rebellion against God. But not only do we share in Adam's original sin, we've also inherited from our father Adam his tendency to sin. Uh, his nature was changed from being someone who loved God and loved other human beings to being somebody who hated God and hated other human beings. And we have inherited that tendency. Now this is true for all people. Whatever their color of their skin, whatever part of the world they, they or their parents have come from, we all have this common tendency to sin. Now, the Apostle Paul makes this point very clearly in, his, in the first three chapters of his letter to the Romans. And, and um, he, he, that, that the first three, letters, th- first three chapters of the letter to the Romans are really a sustained argument to prove that all people everywhere are guilty of sin. In chapter 1, he, he talks about how God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who have suppressed the truth. Uh, they, they, they know the truth about God, but they refuse to worship him. And instead, they worship idols, false gods. And because of that, God has handed people over to do all sorts of different sins. And then in chapter 2, he then addresses 
the person who thinks of himself as being morally superior to other people. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? You see, so often, uh, racism comes down to people making generalizations about people of other ethnic groups. And they say, oh, people of that group, they do all that, they do these terrible things. I don't do that, they say, because I'm superior. I'm morally more upright. Well, uh, my, my group is more upright than that group. But that is simply not true. Your sins might be more subtle, maybe. They may be less obvious, perhaps. Some people's sins are more obvious than others. But nevertheless, all of us are guilty of sin. None of us can sit in judgment on anybody else. God knows the reality. God knows your heart. You might look at somebody else or or people in another group and say, oh, those people are all so violent. But God looks into your heart and he sees the violence in your heart. He sees the hatred. He sees the anger. He sees the resentment that is in your heart. And he knows you're guilty of the same sin. You might look at another group and say, oh, these people are all so immoral, they're all sleeping with each other. But God looks at your heart and he sees the lust that is within your own heart. You might not outwardly be doing the same things, but he sees the lust and the corruption that is there. You might say, oh, these people are so greedy and so materialistic. People of that group are are, are so, so, so always talking about money. But God looks into your heart and he sees the greed and the lack of contentment and the idolatry that is within your own heart. It might be more subtle, but he sees it. So none of us can look down in judgment upon anybody else. And then the same thing is true. Uh, The the apostle reinforces that point in chapter 3 where he's talking to the Jew. And he says, uh, he's talking about the Jew and how the Jew feels himself to be morally superior, somebody who is of a, of a higher class uh, morally. But he then says to them, verse 21, you then, you who teach others, sorry, chapter 2, verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And uh, then the apostle brings this to a great conclusion in chapter 3, from verse 3 to verse, sorry, verse 9 to verse, uh, verse 18. He says, what then shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. Whatever group you're in, whatever race you're in, whatever 
Are you better than any other racial group? Not at all. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners together. No racial group is superior to another racial group. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is mankind. All of mankind. All different racial groups. All guilty of the same sorts of sins in one form or another. As he says in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here is a second reason why the true Christian cannot be racist. The true Christian cannot be racist because he or she knows that he or she cannot look down on somebody else from another group in terms of moral, moral, morality. Because he or she knows, you look at the sins of another person or another group, you say, I'm guilty of the same thing. In my own way, I'm just as bad. Perhaps not outwardly, perhaps, I, perhaps it's not so obvious, but I cannot condemn anybody because I'm a sinner through and through. There's sin and corruption in my heart, just as I see there is sin and corruption in another person. So there's the second reason. Now the third reason why the true Christian cannot be racist is because the true Christian knows that God calls people from all religion, all, from all ethnic backgrounds to receive his salvation. Uh, One of the great gospel texts of the scriptures is, is uh, for John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, those are words of Jesus spoken to Nicodemus. Now, when Nicodemus heard those words, he must have been amazed. Because although the Bible talks in the Old Testament of how the nation's coming to believe in Christ, as a Jew, he'd been brought up to believe that it was only the Jewish people that God loved. The rest of the world were outside of God's purposes. But Jesus said to him, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever believes in him, whatever national group, whatever racial group, whatever country they come from, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
John writes similarly in his first letter, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation, the one who turns away God's wrath for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Anyone who comes to Jesus and trusts in him will have his sins forgiven. Similarly, Paul also writes 1 Timothy chapter 2 that prayers should be made for all people everywhere. He says, This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For it's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The testimony given at its proper time. God's salvation is not restricted to a certain racial or national group. It extends to all who come to him through Jesus Christ. Moreover, all who receive this salvation are adopted by God. They become the children of God. They are brought into the household of God, the family of God. They become spiritually brothers and sisters. We are physic- I've already said we're all, we are physically brothers and sisters in the account of the fact that we're all descended from Adam and Eve. But we become spiritually brothers and sisters when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul speaks about uh, how, in Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10, about how it was God's great plan, the mystery of God's will, which was, which was purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will reach their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. This is the great reversal of the effect of the fall. The effect of the fall is to cause people to split into warring factions, warring groups. And we see this happening more and more, don't we, at the moment with, with the sort of so-called identity politics. One group is pushing forward its own its rights for its racial group, its racial, its racial group, or its social group, or its, 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 and people according to their different identities, whether they be men or women, or or black or white, or or uh, whether they, it's it's to do with homosexuality, homosexuals, or or straights, or trans people, or not trans people, all pushing forward their own particular rights, all pushing forward their own their own agendas. And all trying to get what they believe to be justice for themselves and their group. And so we see our society starting to disintegrate as all these different factions and all these different groups are pushing and shoving for their own rights. And saying anybody that doesn't give them what they want is is evil and bad and the enemy. But God's great plan is to unite those who are naturally enemies to unite those who are at war with each other and to bring them together, to be one family together in Christ. 
and to reverse this sort of this tribalism which we see in our society, this nationalism and this sectionalism, this racism, which is so rampant in our society and which threatens to go on and on increasing as people turn away from the gospel. When people come to Christ, the effect of what we see in society is reversed and people start to love one another with a genuine love. Now Paul speaks about, in the, in it, about this in Ephesians, how this works out. In Ephesians 2, which is the reading which we had earlier in our service. And uh, there in Ephesians 2, the second half of Ephesians 2, he takes this, the case study of Jew and Gentile. And he talks about how Jews and Gentiles have been united together in one people. How the hostility that there used to be between Jews and Gentiles is taken away through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, in verse 14 of Ephesians 2, the apostle says this. He says, He himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one man to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. So you see what they're saying here? God has brought us to be at peace with himself. We were enemies of God. Now we're at peace with God if we're believers. But if we're at peace with God, then also we are at peace, or we should be at peace with each other. We cannot not be. How can, if God has accepted me and God has accepted you, how can I not accept you and how can you not accept me? We have to, don't we? God has accepted us, so we must accept one another. Even if naturally we wouldn't want to have anything to do with each other because we're from different groups, humanly speaking. Now we have to love one another because we are part of the same body, the same church. And so the Apostle Paul says in, in Galatians chapter, five, chapter 3, verses 26 to 29, he says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all of you. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we have in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, a wonderful picture of what it will be at the end of like, like at the end of time. When people from every nation in the world will be worshipping God together. Revelation 7 Verse 9, which I read earlier in our service, 
After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, whom no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were holding white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. People from every nation, tribe, and people and language standing before the throne, worshipping God and loving one another. If that is where we're heading, if that is our goal as believers, how can we possibly be racist? It is impossible, isn't it? We cannot be. Because we are part of this glorious, multinational, multi-ethnic family of God. So then we've seen there are three reasons why the true Christian who is consistent with scripture cannot be racist. First of all, because we're all made in the image of God. Secondly, because all of us are like our sinners. And therefore, none of us can claim superiority over others. Thirdly, because God's salvation is extended to all who believe, whatever racial or social group they might originally come from. So let me ask you, as we close, two questions. My first question is this Are you saved? We've been reminded this morning that all of us are sinners. All of us have offended against God's law. Now, it may be that you are very, very, very sensitive about the sin of racism. And it may be that you believe that you're not guilty of of that sin at all, hardly at all. You, You are really tolerant of other people. That's great. But that doesn't mean to say you're without sin. In one form or another. How do you treat your parents? How do you treat your siblings? How do you treat your husband or your wife? What sort of a work colleague are you? What's your attitude towards God? Are you properly honoring and worshipping God in your life? If you're honest, you'll have to say to, you'd have to answer, I've sinned. I've not lived as I should have done. I deserve hell. It's great good news. Jesus has died on the cross to enable people like you to be saved. But you must get saved. Because if you don't get saved, then you'll be punished for your sins for all eternity. So that's the first question I'd ask. Are you saved? Second question I'd ask you is this. If you are saved, can you honestly say that you are 100% rid of every trace of racism, snobbery, pride, rudeness, unpleasantness? Or is it true that perhaps there may still be some elements of this 
in your life. Probably all of us would have to say, don't wouldn't we, as Christians. We struggle with this in one way or another. Perhaps it's a sort of intellectual pride. You take pride in being more educated, more, more, um, more uh, sharp than other people. Perhaps it's a pride in your job. Perhaps it's a pride in your particular cultural background. We might say, I'm not racist, and yet have lurking within us, deep within us, prejudices and attitudes which are proud and contemptuous of others. And of course, you don't have to be white in your skin in order to be racist. Black people could also be guilty of racism. And brown people can be guilty of racism. All of us can be guilty of racism if we're not careful. Let us examine ourselves and see if, if there is this sin or traces of it uh, in our lives. And let us turn to the Lord. Uh, let us uh, remind ourselves that all are made in God's image. Let's remind ourselves that we cannot sit in judgment on other people because we're sinners ourselves. Let's remind ourselves that if we're saved, we're saved by grace alone. Let's remind ourselves that we have nothing to boast about except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he died for us on that cross. Let us remember that, that, that all true believers, whatever their background, are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And let us, by God's grace, truly embrace one another and love one another wholeheartedly. And let us also reach out in love to all those who are around us, whatever racial group or cultural group they might come from, and seek to win them for Christ. Well, I hope and pray that that is helpful for us and that God would bless his word to us. I'd like us now uh, to turn in our song